Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, good morning and welcome to church. I am Pastor Mike. Whether you're joining us from home or you're joining us here live, we are so thankful for you. We consider all of you family. And we've been in the book of James now for a while. And the book of James is written to a group of people who have placed their faith in Jesus. They are Christians. They have a secure forever relationship with the Lord because of the work of Jesus. But at the same time, just like us, this audience is struggling with a several different areas of sin. Their tongue, favoritism, um, inner desires. And just like them, we have to think through that sin. And in James chapter four, which is the next section we're gonna get to, he calls us to take that sin very seriously. In fact, he tells us that we are going to have to get before God himself to draw near, to submit, to humble ourselves before the Lord and go through a process of being convicted of that sin, confessing that sin and repenting of that sin. Chapter four says there might even be some mourning, some weeping, some real getting right with the Lord. But before we jump into that passage, I would like us to spend some time talking a little bit more about the Lord himself. If James chapter four is gonna call us to submit to God, to draw near to God, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to do this really hard soul work, we have to ask the question, are we ready for that conversation? Are we ready for that kind of work? Do we trust him enough to draw near to him even in those hardest moments? So what I'd like to do this morning is to spend some time preparing us for James chapter four. So we're gonna jump into the Old Testament and we're gonna spend some time talking about how God has revealed himself, his character, his nature, and making sure that we're ready to go into his presence the way he's called us to. In the Old Testament, God has revealed himself to us over time. And what I mean by that is if you've just read Genesis, but the person beside you has read the whole Old Testament, the person who's read the whole Old Testament is gonna know more about God than the person who's only read a little bit because God reveals himself more and more over time. Same with the New Testament. Some of the ways that we get to know the Lord is through creation itself. The Bible says that nature speaks to the glory, the power, the character, and the existence of God. It says that the heavens declare his glory, that the skies pour forth speech. So nature itself attests to the person and the existence of God. Also, as you spend time in the Old Testament through recorded events, relationships, covenants and commitments that God makes, the way he interacts with different people throughout the Old Testament, uh, as well as just the warnings that he gives and the blessings that he gives and the prophecies that take place, God is revealing to us what he's like, his nature, his character. Sometimes in the Old Testament, it's easy to get wrapped up in Gideon and Samson and Moses and Abraham. And those are great characters and we learn some from them, but more than anything that should stick out to us is all that we have to learn about the Lord. The story of Samson isn't so much about Samson as it is about God himself. So in those moments, as God's revealing himself throughout the history of the Old Testament, we want to slow down and take note of what we learn about him. He also reveals himself through his names. He calls himself father, judge, king. But then he also spends some time throughout the Old Testament describing himself by different Hebrew names. 
we don't have time to go into all of them, but he'll call himself El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. He'll call himself El Elyon, which means the everlasting God. So throughout the Old Testament, he also reveals himself through his names. He also gives us declarative statements where he'll say things like, I am a jealous God, or majestic is he. He is good. From everlasting to everlasting is he. Holy is the Lord. And he even calls himself God of vengeance. And the final area where the Old Testament spends time teaching us and growing us is through images and pictures, similes and metaphors where we're told what God is like. So God is like this or he's sort of like that. And in these types of pictures, we're moved intellectually and we're also moved emotionally. Many of these are found in the Psalms. We'll see him described as a refuge, a strong tower, a sun and a shield, a fortress, a shepherd, a deliverer, a warrior, a provider. We see him described as clothed in splendor, majestic on high, redeemer, our dwelling place. So in all of these descriptions, we get to know more and more of what God is like. So together, we're going to spend time in Psalm 91. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to pull it out. This might be a good day to take some notes as we go through and talk about what Psalm 91 verses 1 through 4 teach us about God himself. And I just want to acknowledge up front, uh, we're going to fall short. There's no way to plumb the full depths of Psalm 91, even just a couple verses in our time together. And I'll make attempts to move your heart because the text is designed to move our heart. But again, I will fall short. So Lord willing, he intervenes and helps us. As we spend time in this psalm, it's not okay for you to step back and just say, and just agree with it from a distance. When God gives us images and pictures of what he's like, he's not saying just agree with the fact that I'm a strong tower. No, we're supposed to lean into that and ask the question, how does that change the way I view him? how I feel about him, how much I trust him if he truly is what he says that he is. So this is not a moment where we stand back and just observe God. It's a moment where we lean in and engage with God. Psalm 91.1 says, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. So the first part talks about a shelter. And I'll be honest, the first thing that pops in my head when I think of a shelter is like a picnic table with like a small wooden structure in a, you know, a little park, you know, a good place to eat a hot dog. Like that's what pops in my head. But when you look at the passage, it says the shelter of the Most High. The Most High is the Hebrew name El Elyon, which speaks of the exalted one, the supreme one, the one who is above all. So probably a place to eat a hot dog doesn't quite fit, Right? Like this shelter is a place where you're protected by the exalted one. The one who is supreme has provided a shelter for you to protect you in every moment of every day. That's the kind of shelter we're talking about. And in the next part, it says, in the shadow of the Almighty. The name Almighty there is the name Shaddai, which means Almighty, Powerful One, Mighty One. We're first introduced to God as El Shaddai in Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, he's talking to Abram. He's not yet Abraham, he's still Abram. And in that moment, 
God says, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. And then he tells them and declares, you will be my people. I will be your God. And by the way, I'm not just any kind of God. I am God Almighty, the most powerful one that there is, the supreme one. So when he declares that to Abram, and then he changes his name to Abraham in light of this name, in light of this covenant and this promise, the people of God, the generations yet to come, can place their faith in El Shaddai, knowing that he is the almighty one, the one they can place their faith in. So the verse also tells us and calls us to dwell in this shelter, to abide in the shadow. So this isn't like a momentary thing. It doesn't say when you're having a bad day, you should probably pop your head in, spend a little time dwelling here. That's not how he describes it. He describes it as a lifestyle, a place where we go, a place where we linger, a place where we stay, a place that we begin to call home. In Psalm 91, verse two, it says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Refuge, fortress. These are expressions that speak to the strength of the Lord, the defensive posture of the Lord to protect his people. The fact that he will take care of them regardless of what onslaught is to come. And our response to that is, in whom I trust. When we see his power, his fortitude, his commitment to our good, we respond with, I can trust you with this. This little thing, this big thing, this relationship, this thing coming into my life, I can trust you with this. And the fear just starts to melt away because I see him for who he is, a refuge and a fortress. When you put verses one and two together, it puts me in a position to truly dwell because I can't just relax in his presence if I don't know he's protecting me. I can't relax in his presence if I can't trust him. So knowing these things to be true, I truly can abide and dwell in the presence of the Lord. Verse three says this, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence or plague or disease. So in the previous pictures, we get this idea of a shelter, a refuge, a fortress, kind of a stationary thing. Here, it describes snare of the trapper or net of a hunter. Someone is after you. Someone is after a Christian, someone who is a believer in God. And here it says, God's more than just a fortress that's stationary. He's going to defend and he's going to deliver. He's aware, no matter how sneaky the trapper is, no matter what the trapper intends, God is actively delivering his people. He's present, he's aware, and no one's going to sneak by him to get you. God is present and he takes care. No matter how sly the trapper is, the Lord is aware. The Lord knows, the Lord acts. In verse four, it says, he will cover you with his pinions or with his feathers and under his wings, you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark or wall or rampart. So he now moves into this interesting picture of a bird or like a mother bird protecting its young. It's a picture of God wrapping his arms around you, like you're secure in his arms. This is a picture, he uses a bird, so it's a picture of like gentleness and incredible strength. 
Have you ever gotten too close to a nest with a mother bird with some young? Some of you are nodding. Yeah, you don't go buy that nest again, right? Because that bird will chase you down. I mean, it comes after your head and you start running. You're like, I'm pretty far away. And that bird's still coming at you because it's going to protect its young no matter what. So in the same way with that same picture, God is going to take care of his own. And it describes his faithfulness as a shield, as a strong wall. So I love the picture of a shield. So in the other pictures, it's like it's this stationary fortress, refuge. Here, the idea is shield. So whether it's an arrow coming from an, an unusual angle, God is prepared to take that on. A shield is mobile. It will move in the moment and take care of you, regardless of what kind or style of attack is coming your way. He is faithful in that. His faithfulness is like this strong wall. So it's important for us to remember that he is not fickle. He is not moody. He's not bipolar in his love for you, his care for you. It is consistent. It is ongoing. It is reliable. But sometimes that's hard for us. Uh, Maybe the way you were raised, some of the relationships you've had with parents, aunts, uncles, friends, spouses, ex-spouses, coaches, teachers, in some of those relationships, you've been mistreated. You've been hurt, abandoned. Some have been abused in various ways. And it's really easy sometimes to take those very human experiences and kind of project them onto assuming that's the way God's going to treat you, assuming that's how God is also like. Here in a psalm like this is a moment to slow down and to hear what God says he's truly like. Our human relationships do not reflect on what God is like. God describes what our human relationships should be like and what we should be longing for and looking for and what we should provide in a relationship, not the other way around. So he is faithful. Even if people in your life have not been, he is faithful. I want us to jump over to Psalm 90 and we're gonna look at just one verse. Psalm 90 verse one is written by Moses. And it's just another picture for us. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Lord, you have been our dwelling place where we live, where we find our being for all generations. It's kind of strange to equate the Lord to a place that can feel weird, but he's not talking about a tabernacle. He's not talking about a temple or a synagogue. He is not talking about church. He's talking about his very own presence. So no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, we have the opportunity to dwell in his presence because it's not based on place. He is the dwelling place. It's kind of the difference between your house and your home. Your house and your home. Your house is where you hang your hat, but your home is your family and those that you love. My house could burn to the ground. I still haven't lost my home. My home is with my wife and my kids. It's kind of that, like that with the Lord. It's not based upon where, it's based upon who. So it's not a matter of going here. It's not a matter of going over there. It's a matter of going to him. Back in college, my wife and I went to Bowling Green State University in Northwest Ohio, very cold corner of the world. Uh, on Friday nights, and even as I shared, this is probably good to say out loud, I did have friends in college. We had a really fun friend group. But on some Friday nights, I just wanted to get away. I'm an introvert, 
I just needed time to recharge. So I'd grab my Bible, I'd grab a book, and I'd go to this subway that was on the edge of town. Uh, so this was Friday night, usually be late at night, and I was the only one in Subway. Believe it or not, college kids weren't cramming in the doors to go to Subway on a Friday night. They were going to other places. But Pastor Mike was in the back of Subway in a pretty dirty booth, drinking a Coke for 99 cents, free refills, and cookies, three for 99 cents. I might have ate too many of those as well. I do have a sugar problem. But back there in that dirty booth, I would open up God's word and I'd open up books and he would challenge my mind with some of these kinds of things. He'd tell me what he was like. I'd see him interacting with Gideon and Moses and Abraham. I'd see Jesus interacting with Peter and James and John. And I would learn what he is like, his character, his nature, the way he interacts. My heart would be moved to want to be more like him and to want to be with him. Spiritually, I was challenged to place my faith in him deeper and deeper and deeper. It was in those moments in the back of a subway, in a dirty booth, drinking a Coke, where I felt him calling me to be in full-time ministry. So you can be anywhere and find your dwelling place in God. I'd be totally fine next Friday night if I drive around to restaurants, I see you all sitting in dirty booths in different places, dwelling with the Lord. That would be totally appropriate and wonderful. So your dwelling place can be everywhere and it can be in every moment. It's not bound by time. It's not bound by location. So tomorrow morning when you wake up and your alarm goes off, before you get out of bed, that could be a moment where you dwell with the Lord. As you walk down the hall to the shower, as you get your kids, as you make breakfast, as you drive to work, all those moments are moments where you can be dwelling with the Lord in his presence. We can be anywhere, everywhere, and continue to dwell. Moses, Moses is the one who wrote this psalm. If you remember the life of Moses, he was a guy who was in Egypt for a period of time. That didn't go so well. So then he went into the wilderness to go to the promised land. How did that go? So he gets to the edge of the promised land. Everybody's afraid, so he gets sent back into the wilderness where an entire generation dies off. Moses, whether he's in Egypt, in the wilderness, on the edge of the promised land, or back in the wilderness watching a generation of people die off, he looks at the Lord and says, you have been our dwelling place for all generations. It's not based on circumstance. It's not based on location. It's not based upon how well things are going or how poorly things are going. We can look at the Lord in the same way and say, Lord, regardless of what's going on in my life, regardless of where you have me, regardless of the things that are happening to me, you can be my dwelling place for me, for my kids, for my grandparents, for my grandkids, for all generations. Unfortunately, if we spend a little bit more time with Moses and the people of God, they don't continue to dwell in God's presence. They don't stay in the shadow of his wings. They start to wander they get distracted. They follow other gods. They fall into sin. They fall into unbelief. So what does God do? How does he respond to his wandering children? He does this, Matthew 1.23. It says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So he watches his children wander. He watches his children struggle and leave from his protection to move out from behind the refuge. 
He's, they're no longer in the shadow of the Almighty. They're depending on the strength of their own hands. And he says, I'm sending the Son of God. And Jesus shows up on the scene, God with us. He dwells with us in a physical, tangible way. The Son of God takes on flesh and blood and dwells with his followers. The idea of God's presence literally turns into Jesus and his disciples sitting around a table. They're dwelling with God by looking across the table and looking on the face of God. He doesn't leave us wandering in the wilderness. We not only have access to being in the shadow of the protection of his wings, we also live in the shadow of the cross. As New Testament believers, we live in the shadow of the cross. What I mean by that is that Jesus not only came to be with us, he came to die in our place. He rose from the grave and provides a way for us to have full access with God at all times. Whether you've sinned in the past, whether you're struggling hard right now, whether something's on the horizon that you're going to really struggle with, Jesus came and died on the cross in your place for all of that sin. And if you've placed your faith in him, you have full and complete forever access to God the Father. Jesus provides that for you. So you're in the shadow of his wings and you're also in the shadow of his cross. We have full access to God at all times. And then Jesus ends his life saying this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So Jesus comes and he's with us. He provides full access to the Father. And as he exits to ascend back to the Father, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are the words that the disciples have to hold on to, to live life, to go you know, live mission is based upon knowing Jesus dwells in them and with them. Jesus is with you and Jesus is with me every moment of every day. The question is, do we lean in and enjoy and experience that presence? So even though everything I just said is 100% true, you have full access to God all the time. You and I so often don't recognize his presence. You and I so often we don't lean in, we lean out. We allow ourselves to walk out of the shadow of his wings. We walk out of the shadow of the cross, not into unforgiveness, but we just don't look at Jesus and all that he's done. But one day, the Bible says, one day, all distraction is gone. I would suggest to you that there's never been a more distracted time to live on earth. Even while I'm up here, I can feel my watch buzzing. I can feel my phone buzzing. Like distraction is all around us all the time. But one day, distraction is gone. One day, the unseen becomes seen. One day, God's presence is not only spiritual, but physical. It's local. It's right in front of us. When it all started and God made Adam and Eve in the garden, if you remember, how did they spend time with God? It says that God would walk with them in the cool of the afternoon. God made a garden and God created people in his image and he would dwell with them locally. Like they would look at each other and interact. There is a day coming according to Revelation 21 where that happens again in an even more spectacular way. It says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, a loud voice, because it doesn't want you to miss this. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. 
It's like a return to Eden, but more glorious than ever before. We're fully saved people who can no longer ever sin. And this secure forever relationship, God now comes to man and dwells with man forever. Jesus in the flesh, 33 years. God forever, unending, eternal years. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He will be so close that he'll be able to put his thumb on your cheek and wipe away tears. That's the kind of dwelling that we have to look forward to. That's the type of interaction and experience we're going to have forever. At the end there, it says, there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. When we get to James chapter four, he's gonna call us to mourning. He's gonna call us to crying. He's going to call us to some spiritual pain. What I mean by that is next week, we're gonna be called to take our sin very seriously. To not take sin seriously is to not take the work of Jesus on the cross seriously. So next week, there's gonna be a call to getting right with the Lord, even as Christians in a secure relationship. But there's a day coming when sin is gone. The mourning is gone. Conviction and repentance is gone because it's a forever one day with God himself dwelling with his people. So how then do we begin to experience this life of dwelling in his presence? So picture a Friday night. Uh, Jen and I come home, she's tired from work. I've spent most of the day doing stuff and we're sitting on the couch. There's times when you can be together and not really be together. What I mean by that is I might pop open my laptop, mess around and Jen's got the TV on and we're in the same room, but we're not really together. Other nights, I can close my laptop, she can turn off the television, and we start talking. How has your week been? How was work today? What conversations were hard? Oh, that does sound hard. So what are your thoughts on what you're going to do next time? She asked me. I talked through what's going on in my day, what's going on in my world, in my heart, how I felt that day. Now, we're not only in the same room, we're truly together. So for us, how do we go from just kind of recognizing that God's presence is there to really living in and being together with God. Here are some thoughts. I suggest that you have a mindful awareness of God's presence. Give yourself a mindful awareness of God's presence and then intentionally engage. It might be something like this. Wherever you find yourself during the day, maybe there's a table you sit at or a couch you sit on in your room. And I don't want this to get weird, but like, just think of the, the idea that God is right there in that seat beside you, or he's sitting on that couch. Now he's everywhere, so that's both true and kind of weird, but like recognize that God's presence is there. Like he's really there. So have a mindful awareness of that presence and then intentionally engage with him, okay? So a way of engaging with him would be doing what we're doing right now. Open up your Bible and spend time looking at what God is like. So you engage your mind, Okay, with this dwelling, you engage your mind, you learn about the Lord. And as you learn about the Lord, there is some movement of your heart. It's just going to happen. Hopefully you've experienced some of that today as you've spent time looking at the Lord, like, oh, he, he really does love me. I, I think I can trust him with that. Like your heart is moved by the character and nature of God. 
He's the most beautiful being there is. So as you interact with him, there's gonna be a natural inclination to fall more in love with him. So your heart is involved. And I would even say your spirit becomes involved. Your faith increases. I really can trust him. I think I'm going to give him this part of my life as well. So by opening your Bible and slowing down and really engaging with the Lord, you are dwelling in his presence. I would suggest you talk to him like your best friend. So I have a couple rules when it comes to conversations. I, I like to always talk to the Lord about something before I talk to a person about something. I don't know how that sounds, but I try to talk to the Lord about things before I talk to people about things. And then the next person, I talk to my wife about things before I talk to other people about things. So that's kind of like my cascading way of communicating in my world. Just, I want to talk to the Lord first about what's going on and try to run it through him and his word and his thoughts. And I want him to start interacting with me over things in my life. So in your time, in the car, in the shower, moments of stillness in your life, talk through things with the Lord. Treat him like your closest, best friend. Tell him what's really going on. You're not going to surprise him. Like maybe say you're really angry at him. He can handle that. And by the way, he already knows it. So you can go ahead and say it. Like interact with him. Tell him about your anxieties, your concerns, your disappointments, and your joys. Treat him as your best friend. Another suggestion, talk about him when you're with others. Talk about him when you're with others. Sometimes we think I can dwell with the Lord when I'm by myself, but I'm with a group of people. I have to walk out of dwelling with the Lord and now I'm with people, so I'm not with the Lord. That's not how the Bible describes fellowship at all. Fellowship or interacting with other people that know Jesus is the opposite. That actually takes you into the presence of the Lord. Talk about how you're doing. Pray for one another. Discuss what you're learning. Discuss goals, applications, things that you're working on. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about these new discipleship groups that we're starting. It's kind of an updated version of our discipleship groups. There's the journal on the screen. We have those out at the front desk. The whole point of these discipleship groups is to do this, to get us to commit to spending time with the Lord, one-on-one with the Lord, and then getting together once a week to go into God's presence together and talk about what we're learning, where we're growing, what we need from Him and from others. So grab one of those if you haven't. They're at the front desk. Start one. It's not you go get one, you go start one. You can do that. Another suggestion, put reminders everywhere. It helps to be reminded to engage with the Lord. Perhaps it's a verse. Perhaps it's one of the descriptions. Maybe it's just to write strong tower and just put that somewhere on a desk. Maybe on your refrigerator, you write my dwelling place. It just reminds you to dwell with the Lord. Maybe on your screen, on your phone, If you find yourself on your phone a lot, have that slow you down. Maybe on your computer, your iPad, put reminders all around you. My last suggestion, uh, as I invite the band to come up, is that we also use music. On Sunday mornings, we play music that has particular words to move your heart to think about the Lord. We sing theological truths so that you can engage mentally and emotionally and spiritually with the Lord in these moments on your own. Find worship, find songs that move you to meet deeply with the Lord. If you're in the car and you find yourself just thinking about things that don't matter, listening to some goofy radio station, that's not bad, but it's also an opportunity that you might be missing out on to be mentally aware of God's presence and then to intentionally engage into that presence. So even this morning as we sing, use this time 
to be drawn into the presence of the Lord. Intentionally dwell with him while you're with others because of the words that are being sung. The Bible calls us to sing God's words to one another. So worship like this is vertical, but it's also horizontal in nature and in benefit. So let me pray for you and then let's sing together. Father, we come before you as your children in the shadow of your wings, Jesus in the shadow of your cross, looking forward to the day when God dwells with man forever. Between now and then, Lord, I pray that you would engage our hearts and minds, that we would walk with you daily, that we would not be okay standing on the outside looking in, but rather dwelling in your presence, feeling you, sensing you, thinking about you, being moved spiritually to faith and trust. May we grow in our love for you and one another. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 